Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suziwala. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for REMAX and was recently named Canada's top agent. Faisal began his career at the young age of 18 and has been providing outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. Faisal's here today to talk everything from real estate trends for the fall and winter to the impact of Airbnbs on the country's housing market. Uh, welcome to the show, Faisal. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Happy to have you back. Listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him directly, 519-624-5555, or email Faisal at homeshack.com. Lots to talk about today, Faisal. If we start with a, a market update, how are things looking uh, just past the midway point of October now? You know, the, the market has been fairly quiet. We've seen a continuous decline in interest from buyers uh, coming into the market. We've seen a steady increase to the inventory. Uh, but typically, you know, if you look back over the last few years, um, that September market has always been slower. We haven't had a lot of movement in this time of year. Um, other than during COVID, we saw activity throughout that whole process. Um, people are pausing right now because they're just unsure of what's going on. So they're playing it safe right now. Um, and, and I understand, you know, why they're doing that, because there's so much uncertainty when it comes to rates. Um, there's so much uncertainty as to what their cost is going to be uh, on renewals. So there seems to be just that pause right now. And we can expect that probably for the balance of this fall market. That's good for us to uh, to know. You you you've talked about uh, you know the Bank of Canada. We've seen uh, ten uh, rate increases in in uh, you know a year and a half sort of thing. Um, if if you in your mind, if if rates drop, are things going to start to change, or are we still going to be kind of in a holding pattern for a while? Well, you know, from January of this year to June, um, when the pause occurred that gave a very positive signal to the market and the market started increasing by one to two percent per month um, and we were up 12 percent coming into june we've now lost that 12 percent gain we're back down by about 10 to 12 percent um let's look at it this way new development of single family homes is down 21 percent right now new apartment construction is down two percent rural housing is down eight percent bank of canada as you mentioned has raised the uh, benchmark rate 10 times since March of 2022. Um, so even if the rates drop, the fixed rate mortgages renewed are still at higher rate levels. So the cost of acquisition is very high right now. Um, the, the, the bright side uh, for sellers is that there's still a huge need for housing. We know now that 3.5 million homes are needed uh, by the end of this decade. When we're definitely not on track to meet yeah. that goal. That's so right. there's going to be a lot of um, deterrence to development as a result of high value of land paid, high interest rate, high cost of material. So it's really a supply chain issue as well. Right? The supplies can increase. And if, if the government would focus more on helping small businesses um, increase their supply without taxing them with the um, cost of financing 
or taxes and give them more incentives to produce. We know there's no job shortages. There's a lot of people that are that are available uh, mm -hmm. to work, and there's a lot of jobs that are out there. Um, immigration is still continuing to be at an all-time high. So all of this is going to um, help as long as the money and the resources are appointed to the right areas where they're needed. All good information for us to uh, to take in when when we're making these big decisions. It's extremely important. Uh, I've heard you talk uh, the idea that fall and and winter are are becoming this sort of new hot season in real estate. In your mind, how is that happening? I suppose why is that happening as well? Well, as I mentioned um, during COVID, it didn't matter when you bought a house; it was a hot time to buy. Um, that was really a result of deurbanization. People leaving the big centers, moving into uh, the smaller areas like our region um, for affordability, for access, for amenities, for quality of life, um, places of worship, whatever it was that drew them to these areas, but mostly affordability. Um, then you add the work at home environment, which for the most part has continued, although many businesses have said they want more of a hybrid model where you're coming into work two or three days a week. But it, excuse me, has created an environment now that people are saying, well, you know what, it doesn't matter when we buy as long as we're buying in the region that we are now working at home from. And that seems to, and, and region of Waterloo um, is a popular hot spot for people to live and work and and remotely work um the buyers and if you look at the occupations that they're in they're uh, they're either in tech in it um in transportation all of which requires access to perhaps a 401 and um just good internet access in order to get on uh, uh get on your online and do your work as required and again checking in once or twice a week is not that bad so we're seeing that and then we're also seeing that there's more of a thoughtful process in buying in the fall off peak seasons because you're not really up against a lot of competition. Inventory levels are higher. Inventory stays on the market longer. So you, there's a better chance that you're going to purchase that home for probably a 3 to 5% discount over what you would pay in the spring market. And good good information to, to take a look at. I suppose, too, um, We've talked about this before. There's only so many hours in the day. Uh, it, you know, if, if it's if it's a, a quieter time, they might be able to get a little bit more Faisal into their day, right? Because you've you've got to, you've got more to give, I suppose, at this time of the year. Yeah, and and it's so important, especially in these times where it's so turbulent, that we have the opportunity to spend time with people, um, show them all their, their options, not put them in a position where they have to make a decision in the next 15 minutes. And it's hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're making decisions on. The biggest decision that they're going to make in their life has to happen because all of a sudden there's eight offers, nine offers, 15 offers, and you're going up, you know, $25,000 per round. So all of these things um, don't really make for a very smooth transaction. And it gives a lot of remorse to these buyers uh, at the end of the day saying, did we make the right decision? And we know that those who are buying back in early 2022 are looking back now and saying, oh boy, what did I get myself into here? If, if we take a look at where right, uh, the rates are right now, what uh, what are we seeing? And, and in your mind, we've, we've had you look in your crystal ball before. What do you see happening in the next little while as well? Well, the good news uh, this week, 3.8% inflation. So we're down 0.2. 
Um, there is a very good chance that October 25th, the Bank of Canada will pause mm. the interest rate uh, hike, which is welcomed. Um, if it goes the other way, if they do increase a quarter percent, and the Bank of Canada and the government has a habit of overcorrecting mm-hmm. and really being conservative with what they're doing. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went up a quarter percent, but I really, if I was going to bet on it, I would say they're going to hold. Um, but the, an interesting fact has come out, and, and just listening to economists and whatnot, I recently learned that. Our inflation number at 3.8 takes into consideration mortgage payments and rental payments, which are at a high. So on one hand, they're increasing rates, causing people to pay more on interest now than ever before. In turn, rent has to be higher because landlords are paying a higher mortgage, so they need that coming back. But in the UK and the US, interest rates, interest payments, Mm. and mortgage payments and rental payments are not taken into consideration. So if we extract that dollar value from our inflation numbers today, we're already at target, which is 2%. Right. So talk about overcorrecting. We have overcorrected. And you look at amortization schedules and you look at, um, you know, U.S. has a 30-year amortization with a 30-year term. Canada has a 25-year amortization with a five-year term. So what we're going through today with these higher rates, our our neighbors in the U.S. are not affected by that because they're still locked in at 2% for the next 20 years. Right. Right. And and in, I, I think maybe that the, the mindset is there's there's that mindset in Canada. The idea is you want to pay your mortgage off as quickly as possible. Where in the States, it's kind of like, ah, it's just part of, you know, what we pay every month and it's it's going to be there for forever. And that's that's a difficult thing, especially if you're trying to compare everything. Um, it's it's not really a fair comparison. And that's the important for us to know and, and remember that about the numbers as well. Yeah, and, and it's tax deductible in the U.S., whereas in Canada, it's not tax deductible. So there's a big difference. And that's one of the reasons why there's greater growth in the U.S., because you can leverage your home and, and get the write-offs and whatnot. And even if you're not leveraging, if you're just simply making a mortgage payment, there's a deduction available to you against your income. Important information, and we're always learning something when Fossil's on the line. Uh, we're coming up to a break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, the impact of immigration on the housing market. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. Listeners, if you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, we've seen the numbers that say there are close to half a million newcomers each year into Canada, but uh, you've actually got some stats that say it's higher than that. What what can you tell us is going on? That half a million newcomers to Canada, those are landed immigrants. Those are people that have, you know, applied in their country and come to Canada through actual landed immigrant status. What we're not taking into consideration are the students that are coming in, the migrant workers, the temporary workers. So when you add those numbers, it's closer to 900,000 people that are coming into this country every single year. And that's why we don't see 
enough housing available. When you look around right now, um, a lot of the rental properties are renting out bedrooms. We're talking six mm -hmm. rooms in a home, each being rented out. And literally, it's just mattress upon mattress upon mattress spread out throughout the home. And yes, great for the landlord, but are they good living conditions? Absolutely not. Um, is it taking away from uh, the family that needs a home? Absolutely, because a landlord say, well, at these rates and whatnot, I might as well rent out per room and get a higher yield on my on my return as opposed to renting out to a single family. So this adds to the problem. So when we see the need for 3.5 million homes by the end of this decade, I would argue that it's even greater than that because we're not taking the 900,000 growth in population annually. And there's a good chance that those students, migrant workers, will apply for permanent residency, will mm -hmm. get jobs here, and they will need housing as well. So this, this situation is not going to improve unless there is more development, affordable development, affordable housing. There's all kinds of um, grants that are coming out, the Federal Housing Acceleration Fund, which will provide money to municipalities. We know that 74 million was given to, I believe, London, 90 million was given to Hamilton. I'm not sure what the region of Waterloo numbers are, but I certainly hope that they're in line to get their share so that they can contribute towards this uh, affordable housing. The GSTHST reduction is going to help uh, developers create more rental properties. Um, we just hope it's more on the affordable side as opposed to the luxury side. Right, right. Well, in, in your experience, if you have uh, new Canadians coming to you that are looking to make purchases, are you finding that it tends to be multi-generational family that's coming to you to say, you know, my mother and father or the in-laws are going to be here. Our kids are going to be with us for a while. Is that where we're at right now with a lot of the new people that are that are coming to Canada? Absolutely. And, and you know, we're, we're finding now here's one thing, you know, a lot of us have this misconception that immigrants are coming into this country and, and, and leeching off of us or using mm -hmm. our resources. These immigrants that are coming into the country are coming with money. They're not ne necessarily looking to finance. They have cash to buy. They just don't have inventory to buy. They, they need those larger homes. They are multi-generational. They want, but it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? Because developers and builders saying, well, we can't afford to build right now because the cost of interest is too high. Material cost is high. Labor shortages. Land value we paid too much for. So there's a real comment. So, you know, you've got, you've got like the humidifier and the dehumidifier in one room just battling up against each other. Nothing's actually happening. So this is going to continue to be an issue and we're going to continue having this crisis until something gives municipalities need to speed up their approval process, get rid of the red tape. Uh, more funding needs to be put into municipalities to allow development to happen. Development charges need to be thrown out temporarily until we get the units that we need. So all of that will help create more housing and more affordable housing. It's when we know that all of those pieces have to be falling into place. They've got to fall into place soon. If you've got prospective buyers right now, they still have to qualify through a stress test. Uh, maybe you can walk us through what the stress test is, why it was introduced, and what might be happening as, as we move forward as well. 
Well, back in the good old days, uh, three years ago, when uh, when the rates were declining rapidly and we were down to 1.5, 1.6%, you know, mortgage rates for five years and 1.9%, the, the, the OFSI, which, which, which controls the banks, came up with the idea that, look, if these rates increase rapidly or at some point, which they promised they wouldn't, by the way, but let's just say they do hypothetically, right. um, and we're, we're knee deep in it now, uh, but let's just say the rates go up. We want to ensure that these folks that are buying homes and getting mortgages at 2.5% can still afford to keep their home at 4.5. Right. So they were adding 2% to the lending rate, not that you were paying the four and a half, but you were qualifying as if it were four and a half in order to facilitate that. Well, here we are today at 6.25%. So even that didn't really do the trick. But the challenge today is that folks that are going to get a mortgage today, a five-year mortgage, let's call it at 6.25%, whatever the rates are, um, they actually need to qualify as if the rates are 8.25%, not 6.25. Now, the average household income in the region of Waterloo is somewhere between $108,000 to $110,000. That's right. average. Yeah. And that may even be on the high side. So for someone who needs to qualify for even a $600,000 mortgage, because the average home is $800,000 or $850,000 in this region, how are they going to qualify 8.25% interest? So really, that stress test needs to be taken out because the rates are pretty much, at least we hope, at the highest we're going to see. Hopefully, we're going to see a decline in the rates coming into next year, first quarter. Um, if I was guessing, I would expect that somewhere between a quarter to half percent, we'll see decline in April, which means that this is a really, really good time October, November, December, January, I believe are going to be great months to get out there and look at buying opportunities. You're not going to be battling with multiple offers. You're not going to have inventory issues. You're going to have the ability to put conditions in there, inspections and financing. And there's going to be a short runway between now and probably April for you to get in and buy a home. If they can remove the stress test, that will encourage people to get back into buying homes without having to qualify for those. And let's just face it, like if Bank of Canada continues increasing, they're really hitting the reset button on everybody and causing a crash, which I don't think is the intent here. In, in your experience, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how simple do you think it would be to remove the stress test or is it going to take a number of steps it, like does it have to go through uh different levels of government before a decision like that is made or is it it could be made like uh, you know with a snap of finger to say let's get rid of it we don't need it uh based on where the percentages are right now well i i, I don't know what the protocols are and what the legislation is around that but it, it was implemented very quickly mm -hmm. it was implemented fairly quickly so i think removing it shouldn't be that difficult. It's a matter of basically instructing the big five banks to say, okay, you're no longer required to use this as a qualifying factor right across the board. And by doing so, I think it will really give people the opportunity. Look, if they're thinking that we don't want people buying a lot of houses and spending a lot of money, well, that doesn't make a difference because if we're looking at the inflation numbers, we're also taking rental payment into account. So those folks who are unable to buy are turning around and renting. The yeah. average townhome in this region is renting for close to $3,000 a month. 
It doesn't make sense. Those were $1,800 to $2,200 a month townhomes. Great for the landlords, but not so great either because they're paying high interest rates. Unreal. Uh, there's been a lot of talk, Faisal, about uh, the loss of developmental land. We've heard, we know that's been going on for the for the last well, let's you know, last year, last longer than that. In your mind, what what's the possible solution to a problem like that? Well, it's thinking outside of the box. You know, there's infill opportunities. When I say infill, these are you know small parcels of land that are sort of sitting there vacant, two acres, one acre, or little story and a half wartime homes sitting on an acre of lot within the city boundaries. Those are a great opportunities to redevelop. Um, now with this loss of agricultural land that was supposed to be, you know, and, and the whole drama that happened around that, we know that that's not going to be a possibility to expand into those lands. So we have to look at alternate options. There are so many buildings right now, commercial buildings, office buildings that are actually sitting there vacant. Those are prime opportunities to turn into rental housing because right? the, the, the floors are set up. It's a big hollow, basically canvas that you can divide, subdivide per floor, start adding units in there. So I think there's something to be said. For it. And then you look at old industrial sites throughout our region. Um, Yes, some of them may be contaminated, but I believe there are government incentives to clean up some of these sites. So again, let's put some of that $90 million that uh, the housing fund is offering towards cleaning up uh, contaminated sites, creating an opportunity to do some infill developments. And, and let's not get so caught up on zoning. There's a ton of opportunity out there to now, and I know, I know municipalities are looking at rezoning and allowing higher density, like the four units per, per residential dwelling that's being proposed right now. I think that's great. As long as you have the land area, the infrastructure, the capacity, the hydro, the gas to facilitate that, the parking to facilitate that. Because the last thing you want is driving through a subdivision and seeing a ghetto of cars. Because right. that's kind of right. already and people parking on front lawns. Um, so I think if 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 proper planning can come in behind all of this, because the ideas are great, but has their thought been put into planning? But there's a lot of these industrial sites that are sitting vacant and Typically, you go to the city hall, you talk to staff, you talk to your counselors, they're like, no, 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 that's industrial. That's, well, that industrial pocket is sitting dead in the center of residential neighborhoods. So let's look at converting some of this stuff into affordable housing and, 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 and high-density housing. I love it. we got to get creative. Uh, we also need to take a quick break. Uh, we'll get an update from the City News 570 News Center. When we come back, uh, how Airbnbs are impacting the housing situation in the country. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Walla. If you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, in the last decade, we know short-term rental platforms like Airbnb and VRBO, they've really taken off. Uh, there's a lot of benefits that people are looking for places to rent, but we know there's a negative impact as well, too. What are we seeing? Uh, what, what's, this, what's the sort of impact that these platforms are, are having in the market right now? Well, those short-term platforms have converted tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, of 
of units, residential units into essentially hotel suites. Right. So they've taken a much needed housing out of the inventory that was available for families and people coming into the country to rent from. So like just in Vancouver, BC alone, 17,000 units have been turned into short-term rentals this past summer alone. Wow. Like that's, wow. that's astronomical numbers. 17,000 homes that could have been rented out to individuals are short-term rentals. And large corporations and commercial operators are actually buying up homes for the sole purpose of turning them into short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. So there has to be regulation out there to control where Airbnbs can be operated. Maybe it can be in cottage countries or in, in areas where, um, or at least have some sort of guideline towards it. Um, if we continue seeing that trend, because there's a higher return in some instances by getting $250 a night as opposed to getting $3,000 a month. Right. And if you rent it out for 20 nights, well, they're already ahead of the game. So these are these are the challenges that we're going to continue. So regulation needs to be there. Some form of restrictions need to be, especially in typical residential neighborhoods, not to allow Airbnbs to continue. Again, I'm not saying right across the board, but Definitely in, in city centers or especially in areas where we're having a major housing crisis that we are in region of Waterloo. You, you mentioned that idea that, you know, there's these regulations have been put in place, but we know uh, Toronto, for example, um, you, it's really difficult to enforce those regulations if you don't have uh, feet, uh, you know, uh, uh, boots on the ground and getting people in there. And we've we've kind of heard those horror stories. Um, it's the, the, we've got to really be putting more of an investment into people that are able to enforce those rules as well. Yeah, absolutely. And whether it's bylaw or you know simply simply driving up and down the neighborhood checking out license plates to see do these people actually reside in this or is this a temporary residence for them? And and is there a turnover there? I mean, there's ways of enforcing it. It's just a matter of having the manpower to do it. And, and as you said, maybe in certain areas, we have friends that uh, that rent their property out when they're not there, but they live, uh, you know, they're they're out in, in sort of central Ontario um, and they live close to a, a ski hill. So it, it makes sense in the wintertime if they're not there. Uh, it's it's cottage country. It's it's uh, entertainment for people that are going to be there. But if you're living in a in a condo, you're living in an apartment building, and it's it's new people every night. They don't have pride of ownership necessarily. Uh, you've got all of these other issues that are going on, and as you said, that is eating up property that could be used for families for uh, for young professionals. So it's important for us to to take a look at that. It can't be sort of just allowed to to just run amok through through all of those uh, those situations important information for us to think about um we're, we're heading into the cooler months and maybe we can shift gears a little bit um all of the all of the background and all of your experience um if you, what would be if we were looking at winterizing our home we we've got pride of ownership we've got you know we've got our castle we know the snow is going to be coming i i know it's a four letter word but it's going to be coming anyway um yeah. what's what's on your 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 list of of best ways to winterize your home faisal well, you know, this time of year, it's so important to, you know, check your roof, make sure you have it inspected, repair those loose shingles, because, you know, we get, we get a lot of high winds, shingles will lift, 
then the ice and snow gets underneath, starts lifting it, then you're going to have all kinds of problems throughout the winter. And it's pretty difficult to get somebody to go on your roof in the summer months, let alone in the winter months to do a repair for you, right? Um, exterior faucets, that's a huge one. Um, most of us will delay and forget and go away and all of a sudden you come home on uh, after a weekend and your basement's flooded because all of your outside faucets were not turned off they were the lines were not blown out so that 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 swelled up and caused a, a, a leak in your basement um install heating cables like you know where needed because you get that ice damming and then the ice goes under the shingles into the wood and again causing leave so a lot of it is exterior stuff that needs to be done seal those gaps and cracks um around the property um for efficiency keeps all the rodents out as well clean the gutters um so you're not getting the ice build up two reasons one you don't want to get it back into your roof the others you don't want those icicles dropping on someone and they can be quite heavy and sharp um windows and doors weather stripping just to keep the drafts out again um get your furnace and hvac system yeah. serviced before winter always do that because again it it never fails. Murphy's law, right? You're um, the, the the coldest night of the uh, of the year, and your furnace stops working. It could have been a filter issue, could have been a motor issue, but if you've had it serviced, there's a pretty good chance they'll catch anything that could go wrong, um, because you don't want to be out in the cold literally uh, during those times. Um, attic insulation, you know, sometimes again the yep. wind can blow it around. Just make sure it's topped up. Make sure it's even. Make sure there's no um, gaps in there. Laundry ducts. This is a big one. Okay. Uh, you get the lint in the laundry. And again, this is a good time. It's still mild enough that you can get out there, get some airlines, blow it all out so that you don't risk having a fire in your duct system uh, when your dryer is clogging it all up. So those are all things just to make sure you you watch and, and you know get your get your contracts get your contracts now your snow removal contracts right. so if you're elderly or if you're unable to take care of your removal of snow don't wait for the first snowfall to call someone number one you're going to get gouged because you waited too long and number two you may not get availability of someone to come out and help you do that so put all your contracts in place now look ahead and say okay what are the things that i'm going to need to take care of before winter and deal with it now. Don't wait until the first snowfall. I've got to ask too, Faisal, are, are you the handyman around the house or do you leave it to the experts? I, I don't even know which end of the hammer is up. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I, my wife, I'll come home and my wife will say, okay, we need to get so-and-so in. And, and I'm like, okay, all right. That sounds like a great idea to me. I'll be over here. I, I think it's a good idea. And, and like, you know, the experts are that's exactly what they're there for exactly. um, <laughs> you mentioned earlier in the show this idea um the housing accelerator fund so the federal government back i think it was july they announced that this this fund was going to ha be happening um and you've you've given us a few numbers what 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 else can you tell us about this fund and and I, it sounds like good news and it it sounds but it sounds like it might need a little uh a little bit of direction and and i i think if faisal was in charge we we it would all be in the right hands for sure yeah, you know, I I, I hope that the, those funds are being called on, you know, especially in our region. As I mentioned, uh, ninety million was given to uh, Hamilton, seventy-four million, I believe, was given to London. Um, so our our municipalities need to make a strong case for what, how much we need, 
what we need and where it's going to be used. Is, are, is that fund going to be directed towards building housing? Like, are, are there going to be buildings erected with that? Is it going to go into infrastructure costs? Is it going to go into municipality to create uh, more staff to get some of these processes move through? Is it going to go towards um, taking care of uh, levies and costs so that it's not on the developer, which encourages them to build more houses? So I just don't know where these, and it's really unclear. And, and I was trying to find what, if anything, our municipalities have requested, or if they've actually been given any allocation of these funds, because that's very, very important that we are proactively going out there looking for the money, getting that into our region. And someone needs to basically quarterback this uh, now before those funds are depleted. Ottawa got, I think, 150 million. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of money that is being given out. We just got to make sure we're in line to get our share of it and make sure that it's being used effectively and not getting used up in, in bureaucracy and red tape and all of that kind of stuff. It needs to be allocated to where the funds are required. I would love to see um, an infill site that are municipal lands that are owned by the city to say, okay, we'll put a 15-story affordable tower in this region so that we can get some of these people into homes. Right. And it's, it's got to be, it can't be a blanket uh, decision for every community. It's got to be, as you said, it's got what, what's going to work for KW, what's going to work in our region. It might not be the same as, as Ottawa or Hamilton, but it's, it's got to be coming down the pipe and, and it's got to be handled properly. Um, we'll take a final break here and ask the experts when we come back issues with tenants. You're listening to ask the experts here on city news, 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, we've heard multiple stories uh, recently where tenants uh, are refusing to move, and we know that there's a lot of uh, situations that that you know that build up to that point. Um, but if I'm a landlord, what what are my options if I find myself in a situation like that? It's, it's definitely very challenging when you have a tenant and you're wanting to sell your property. Now, let me qualify that. If you're legitimately wanting to sell your property right. and you need your tenant to move, that's one thing. But if you're asking your tenant to move because they're not paying enough rent, you've got a bigger challenge on your hands. And, and I caution people, like, don't lie. Don't say you're going to move in. Don't say your kid's moving in. Don't say a family member's moving in. Um, and, and, and you could say, oh, well, I'm going to fully renovate this. But you have to understand that if you're fully renovating this, you have to give that tenant the option to move back in. There's a lot of misconceptions on, well, I'm just going to give them notice and terminate their tenancy because I want somebody else. Well, it's not that simple. If a tenant does not want to move out, they don't need to move out unless you're personally moving in, a family member's moving in, or you're selling the property to someone who plans on moving in. Mm -hmm. Even that buyer must assume the tenant if they don't intend on moving in. So there's a lot of rules around this. Now, we've had a lot of challenges, especially lately, because they're unable to go out and find affordable housing. So I let me give you an example. Uh, there's a townhouse for rent right now, it's 1800, sorry, they're renting at $1,800 per month right now. Right next door, the unit rents out for 2,900 a month. Hmm. So there's an $1,100 discrepancy. 
The landlord says, well, this is not fair. I'm only getting $1,800. I'm going to sell this unit. Um, but when they sell this unit, they have to realize that if another investor is buying that unit, they're going to have to assume that tenant at the $1,800 a month. They're not allowed to increase the rent. They're not allowed to kick them out for that purpose. So there's a few options available. One, you have a discussion, an honest discussion with your tenant and say, look, I can't afford to keep this place at $1,800 a month. So I'm going to have to put it up for sale. You can offer them cash for keys. So this is saying, okay, I understand that I'm asking you to leave. You're going to end up paying uh, you know, $500 more a month for something comparable to what you're living in right now, which is uh, $6,000 a year. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you $10,000 to sign this notice saying that you're prepared to move out in lieu of getting this money. Totally leave. You're allowed to do that. You're not allowed to lie to them and say you're moving in, you're renovating. And that's the reason I want you to go out. So it's very important. Instead of being sneaky, as a landlord and giving them all sorts of excuses and making it difficult on them, have an honest conversation. But my advice to most landlords right now is if you've got a tenant, if they are paying low rent, unfortunately you're stuck with them. Right. Don't try to, to go around the system and beat the system because you will lose and you will get charged and it will be very, very bad for you. Yeah. Wait until the tenant leaves voluntarily finds other accommodation voluntarily or give them lots of time and help them facilitate the move, provide some incentives to them in order to do that. Also remember as a landlord that if you've got a tenant that's unwilling, not cooperating, chances are you're going to take a real hit on the value of your real estate because it's not going to show well. No. Tenant is probably not going to cooperate in showings, which is going to add to time on market, which ultimately will cause it not to sell, or you're going to get far less than market value. So what you thought you were gaining, you're probably going to give it back when you actually see what comes in on, on paper. So be very cautious about that. Just don't do anything you're not supposed to do. Follow the law and 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 have an honest conversation with your tenants. And I'm, it's got to be a tough, a tough position to be in either as the tenant or as the landlord. And I would think in most cases, um, I know it's not 100% of the time, but in most cases, I would think that the tenant and the landlord, if if the tenant's been there for years, they've built relationship with that with that landlord. Um, that's that's got to be worth something as well, too, right? That you know, the land the landlord can't keep going with the mortgage at at the level that they're at. Um, but and 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 the tenant, you know, tenant's been okay in that uh, in, in what they're paying, but. You're right. It's it's they're there. You you gotta don't don't try and skirt around the rules because you're you're gonna be you're gonna find that yourself is uh, you're gonna be in a lot of trouble if you do that. Um, if if uh, if Uncle Faisal was available right now and and you know the the nieces and nephews were gathering around, uh, what would be your advice for the younger generation right now when it comes to real estate? Invest now. Like don't go. don't try to time the market. Don't say, well, you know what? I'm going to wait till the rates come down. So, you know, first of all, a message to the parents, you know, we're, we're pretty hard on our kids say, well, when I was your age, I already owned a house and I'm talking to a, you know, a 25 year old, I already owned a house. I had my first house. Well, yeah, that's great. Mom and dad that you owned a house at the age of 25, but you also realize that if you were making $50,000 at the age of 25, let's say, um, the VAT or household income was $50,000 at the time. Uh, and let's go back to 1988. And the average price of a home was $75,000. So mm -hmm. one and a 
half or one and a quarter times your income was the home. Today, your household income is 108,000 and the value of the house is 900,000. So you're paying nine times the value of your, like what you're earning, you're paying nine times that. So it's not really fair to compare yourself and say, oh, I had it really tough. No, you actually didn't have it very tough. These kids have it very tough. They do. And, and what I say to parents is instead of beating up on your kids and, and, and not facilitating, help them, help them get into the market, partner with them. Let's, there's all kinds of government programs. There's, you know, the, the, the new home accounts, um, um, the, the TFSAs, there's all kinds of incentives. Talk to your local banker. There are programs as soon as the, the child turns 18 years old, you can start a savings plan and there's all kinds of tax sheltering available. So start now. If you can't do it yourself right now, partner with somebody, partner with friends, partner with family, partner with mom and dad, whoever you can partner with them. And don't look for your forever home right up front. In fact, stay at home as long as you can. I'm sure mom and dad are not pleased with that comment, but stay at home as long as you can. Save as much money as you can and go rent, go buy a property that you rent out. Right. Because what you're going to gain is you're in the market, you're going to enjoy the appreciation, you're going to create a rental unit, and you're going to have enough rental income not to get cash flow. Because mm -hmm. we've talked about this in the past, it's right. not necessarily cash flow properties. As long as you can break even or close to break even, the appreciation on that property will in the next three to five years, give you a really good nest egg, really good equity to leverage, maybe sell, and then you can buy that home that you want to live in. Um, also, really be mindful of what you're investing your money in. So you need trusted advisors that are going to guide you properly. Do not pay future value for a home. So right. there's a lot of new home sites, and we've talked about this in the past. There's a lot of new home sites that are out there that sound great, you know, lots of shiny objects around those properties. But when you actually get into it, you're actually paying the value that it may or may not be worth in two years from now. So if you're buying new new homes pre-sale, make sure that the value is exactly what the value would be on that resale today. Don't buy it on the fact that, oh yeah, by the time it closes. In fact, by the time it closes, it should go up in value from what you paid today, not down. We're seeing a lot of projects out there that people bought it back in 2022 that they've probably lost 25% Wow, the equity in the value of that unit. So when they're closing it, they're going to be starting with negative equity, not positive equity. All good advice. So there you go. You've got you've got an uncle in the real estate business. All right. Now, great advice. You're going to find other great advice in a book, little book called The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, written by Faisal Suziwala. Uh, Faisal, what, 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 why'd you write it? What was what was the idea behind writing a book like this? Well, now that you called me Uncle Faisal, it was it was really it was really <laughs> the 18 year old me who got rejected by his first job interview and was told like, like you look like you're 12 there's no way you're going to make it in this business go back to school and you know i took an opportunity i was given an opportunity by mr maneri who was reed maneri realtor uh, he gave me an opportunity to work with him and and what i learned from that moment was exactly what i said 
start now, invest now, multi-partner with people now, start building your portfolio now. And and so I, I wanted to inspire young people who may be lost, who are possibly not fitting that mold of going to university, going to college. Um, if you're passionate about something, if you really believe in something, and if you can say every morning you're waking up and you're happy to go to work, not because you got to go to work, but because you get to go to work. I mean, if you can have that type of life, then you're really succeeding and you're going to live a very happy life. So that was, it was part of inspiring young people not to feel like, oh, you know, I'm not doing what mom and dad, my mom and dad would have loved if I was a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Well, you know, I, I disappointed them greatly in my first year because I wasn't any of those things, but it was, I was passionate about what I was doing. Um, and when you're, when you're passionate about what you're doing, you're going to be successful in what you do. And I don't care if you're 18 or 60. You've got to create a life that you're going to be happy living. So that was part of it. The other part of the book was just strategies. Uh, a lot of my clients over the years, um, and, and I'm celebrating 35 years this year in the business, would say to me, like, Faisal, we've seen you from, 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 from childhood, basically, to now. What have you done to right. create uh, wealth? What have you done to create the life that you live? And I'm like... I'd love to share that with you. And we don't always get the opportunity to share our share our successes with people. And I want to share that. So I, so I, I, I have a roadmap in my book on how to build wealth. And lastly, for my colleagues, a lot of them wanted to just sort of learn what is it that you do that separates you from others and how are you successful in the real estate business? So there's a large uh, portion of the book dedicated to my systems, how I create my market, what I do for marketing and how I created my business. It's available on all the platforms. You can check it out on Amazon.ca. You can go to uh, you know all of the other Amazon or all of the other platforms that are out there. Faisal, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Every time we get together, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for having me on again, Brock. That was Faisal Susie Walla, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market. Big thank you to our technical producer, Adam Sanderson, for pushing all the right buttons. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.